Founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown, A Bit Lit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about Ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation and documentary making. And with over 100 films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co, or on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, at abitlit. Hello, my name's Paul Omani, and um, I'm here today to talk with a couple of the people that I've been collaborating with over the last year on a project called Reading Greek Tragedy Online. Um, I'm a, an actor and a director um, of theatre, and um, yeah, I've got two wonderful people um, to talk about this thing that we've been doing for about the same amount of time actually that a bit lit has been running as well. We started at the beginning of the first lockdown last March and um, so I'm gonna pass over to them to introduce themselves. Um, Evie, first of all, tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Evie Miller. Uh, Like Paul, I'm also an actor. Um, I have worked in various different places around England and internationally. Um, quite a lot of classical texts. I've worked on a lot of Shakespeare plays. Um, and yeah, I suppose we focus quite a lot on the classics as part of my drama school training um, at Guildhall. And I've had a wonderful time this year reading, reading great tragedies. And, uh, and our other great guest is Joel. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Evie. I'm Joel Christensen. I'm professor and chair of classical studies at Brandeis University. Um, And most of my academic career, I've worked on Homer, um, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, But I've gotten to know Paul over the years um, and got really interested in tragic performance over the past year or so and learned a lot about it during the pandemic. And for me, um, someone who's not into acting and performing, um, it's been a tremendous uplift and an opportunity to be part of something else. Um, Now that we've talked about a thing before describing it i'll pass it back to paul so he can get us going yeah absolutely well what would be great i think um just to kind of put a bit of context into what we're talking about would be um if we just explain a bit more about what this project is reading online obviously got a bit of a there's a clue in the title there Um, but let's put um just a bit more detail onto that um maybe maybe every actually you could sort of just um describe sort of and the format of it. Hmm. Well, yeah, during most of last year, it was a a weekly episode um, of a Greek tragedy, sections of which were read by actors from around the world and and then academics who had either specialisms in the play we were reading, a subject to do with it, or the writer. Um, And I think we did a performance of all of the surviving Greek tragedies. That's right. Um, yeah, we've managed to cover every um, extant tragedy um, and even a few other, others as well. Isn't that right, Joel? Well, what else did we kind of dip in? 
We did a couple special episodes, one to try to figure out how Greek chorus works. We did one on fragments, um, which was directed by Tabitha Gale. Um, and then we threw in a couple extra uh, comedies. So we did, I think, three uh, plays by Aristophanes. And then we went a bit wild. Um, and we did some, we did uh, Iliad, some scenes from the Iliad. And then we did a round the world odyssey where we had people read books of the odyssey all around the world. And we did performances of both books one and 24. Um, this all sort of rounded out where I think the day before Christmas Eve or so we did uh, Aristophanes' Frogs. It's sort of a massive end to everything um, until we started again. So this year we're working, we're doing the same sort of format, sort of being a little more creative here and there, um, but only once a month uh, because of, we have a, we thought maybe the pandemic was going to slow down, um, <laughs> but we thought too fast. Just to make it clear, I mean, we're filming this on a day when there are surges in the US and the UK is crawling its way to being well vaccinated, um, but we're not, we're, well, not where we'd like to be. No, I think that probably when we started this sort of, uh, I mean, I we're 12 months into it now. I think when we started, we probably thought that it might have run its course a bit more um, by this stage. Um, but um, and there may be more surprises ahead, I guess. Um, and, um, and Joel, maybe, maybe you could tell us um, a little bit more about how you kind of think it's sort of developed, sort of, because when we started off, they were just sort of, a few of us getting together and hastily kind of choosing a few scenes. And the very first one was just you there as well. Um, so how, how do you feel sort of it's grown over the course of the year? So, you know, it's really, again, probably as a homerist, but also just as someone interested in stories, it's hard for me to answer these questions simply. So I'll try not to tell the whole story, right? So we started out with this idea and the idea was uh, panic, right? So this idea and emotion, panic. And the idea was we need to do something to sort of practice what we do, right? So Paul and I ended up on a call with people from the Center for Linux Studies um, where we started trying to think about, okay, so Paul wants to talk about performance. I wanted to do something with Homer and they put us together and they said, well, what should we do? And we said, we could try this. We'll have some people doing what Paul wants and then we'll talk about the content and just see what happens. Um, so yesterday, uh, so Wednesday, the last uh, March 31st, we did Euripides' Helen to sort of mark a full year since our first performance, which was the Helen. And then we didn't do it live. Um, and it, the basic model hasn't changed, right? The basic model is um, you've got a couple of people who want to talk about it from an academic perspective, but you bring in actors um, from all around the world um, and you involve everybody in the conversation on what the play does in the world and how we react to it right now. Um, so part of what happened over the course of the year is we allowed the plays to communicate to us and through us what we were also experiencing, right? So last year, we didn't just experience a pandemic. We also experienced the sort of the real apocalypse, the revelations of the Black Lives protest movement in the US and around the world, um, police violence, um, the crazy politics in both the US and the UK as the pandemic rose and fell, the, U the US election. Um, it was just sort of nonstop action, you know, but wait, there's more. And part of what happened in the process is that we allowed the plays to be our anachronisms. Right, to communicate to us and through us um, how we were processing what we were going through, like as part of what we'll someday see as history, 
right? Should we survive that long? Um, but at the same time, and I'd love to hear um, Evie's take on this because she was more part of this side of the house. Um, we also pushed the boundaries of the genre we had created, right? We created so Zoom feeder was, we didn't create it, right? Somebody else did, right? But we were part of it and we kept pushing on our, our on the cornerstones what we did, right? On the academic voices and performances in the space together. We've changed who the voices are, bringing in new people, but also we've pushed the boundaries of the performance. Um, so, Evie, I'd love to hear from you. Like, how have you seen it change as, as an actor in the background with, with different directors, with different techniques? Um, what's happened there? Oh, it's just been fascinating. And I think that it, it's so lovely hearing how it developed for you and, and how it started. I think I got a, an email from Paul, maybe, are you free tomorrow? <laughs> would you like to read some Greek tragedy and you know after kind of no to that right precisely after maybe a few weeks of kind of sitting in my living room with my partner who's also an actor and was also part of this project um having seen all of our work disappear having seen all of the theatres close and you know you start to wonder what your purpose is, I feel like I'm so passionate about theatre. I love that, that live experience can't, for me, be replaced. There's something about it being live. There's something about what that does to you physically, the adrenaline, um, I feel like that always adds to performance, knowing that, you know, you can't just start again. Um, and in terms of the way it's developed, it's been it's been pretty incredible, I think. And the challenge of what we are required to bring as actors, when you know that you're gonna have academics who are talking about, you know, the, the hidden depths and the context of these plays, often you get to hear something you have no idea about immediately before reading a scene that quite often, I think, spins you into hearing and, and reading in a totally different way. Um, so that, I think, that, that sensation of, of re reacting, I suppose, reacting in the moment, it feels like the scenes were not only happening within themselves, but also in a kind of really true dialogue with the academic discussion, which I think was just a phenomenal thing to be a part of. If there's something I can add to that also, um, or two things I want to talk about the development that really shifted the way I saw ancient theater and our actions together um, are one, um, sort of breaking down the boundaries of who has the authority to talk about the plays, and two, the importance of continuity and community in creating interpretation and creating theater itself. So on the first one, I mean, from the first performance, um, Evie and Eunice especially, but almost every actor had such insights into the characters in the plays um, that, that I was immediately humbled thinking I, like I've spent my life studying this ancient Greek crap, right? And I can sit down and look at the text and tell you all these things. And suddenly like Evie who says she doesn't know what she's talking about, although she does, right? has more insight into the character in this place in, in the world um, than I have in, in years, right? So I, I think I said at some point early on that each episode was like a dissertation, right? It was like an article, like it was so deep in meaning. And that secondary part of it that's really made me rethink ancient tragedy is the community of interpretation. The way that, you know, as group minds, right, in conversation, we would cue each other to, 
take the character, take the interpretation uh, further than we ever would before, ending up um, in places that, that I don't think a single one of us could have made. And so that's really, I mean, I don't know if we want to get to Aristotle yet, Paul, but it's really made me, from my academic perspective, really rethink what we think we understand about ancient theater. Right, which is always a model of a poet getting up and creating meaning, right? This sort of supply side economics of literary theory, right? Is that poets give you meaning. Like, no, right? Audiences and communities create meaning and poets sort of outline the spaces where that meaning can happen, right? And so for me, it's just like, like we built off of each other week by week. We trusted each other. We had other performances to think about. Um, and for me, that that development was something apart from, you know, the the, the Zoom craft. Like, you, yes, we got better at using Zoom. Yes, we got better at speaking to the camera, which I still kind of suck at. Right. Uh, but but what we created as a group, a sort of our facility with tragedy and talking about it um, was something that I, I didn't anticipate at all. It was a profoundly comforting experience as well. I mean, there's so many people who have been a part of this project, I mean, Joel, yourself included, who I've never met, but I feel like I, I, know, I know you. And in a year that was so isolating, that was so discombobulating, so profoundly upsetting in so many ways, having this community of people that came together to discuss what it was to be human, what has always been a part of the human experience, or certainly, you know, for as far back as these plays took us, um, and how it relates what we can find in it um, today has been just, yeah, such a comfort, I think. And, and um, in terms of discovering, discovering more about not only the plays, but yourselves and ourselves, and it feels like as our kind of internal community grew stronger, we were able to produce much better shows. Um, I really remember you talking about the Trojan women, Joel, in terms of the false bottom of grief, I think was what you said. When you just think this is it, this is obviously, things can't get any worse. <laughs> and then something else happens and something else happens. And, you know, that's definitely felt at points. Pretty bang on. And I'm interested sort of what you think, because we've talked, well, you talked a bit, both of you, about sort of that sense of community. Um, and, I, and an important part of that community, particularly when you're thinking of theatre, is the audience, right? Um, and about <clears throat> how do you create that sense of community or connection with an audience when it's happening in this strange format? And do you think that that that, that has been possible and that there is a community sort of around that surrounds that internal community that we've talked about. So, uh, and sorry to have you to just start out, but I, I've had, so, so I think there are two levels of audiences here, right? So the first is uh, we are our own audiences in a way that the meta theater of ancient Greek theater often emphasized for us, right? We have characters like your, your multiple Pylades, um, Paul, who are there to guide us, to make us see it. And we respond to each other. So there's that first audience that I'll call just an internal audience for now. And then there's a more disparate spread out audience, 
of sort of the those who would watch it live, those who would watch the recorded things. Um, and Paul, both of you and I would monitor on Twitter and other social media platforms while it was going on and engage. Um, and there were regular viewers, right? And there were feedback loops. And sometimes like in, in our most recent episode, I would mention the people who had said, hey, Joel, you were wrong about this interpretation, right? Or something. Um, so, and uh, we both got emails all the time, right? So there's a difference in the, um, in the immediacy of the uh, of the audience response in this, right? It's like your it's like radio signals spreading out in space. Will they ever bounce off something and come back? Right? I don't know how many people got touched by it and never responded, but I do know from the percentage that did that they were deeply engaged. Right? There was a gentleman, an older man, isolated in Cambridge, Massachusetts. After every performance, he sends me an email, and whether it's good or bad, he'll just critique it. It's like immediate right away, right? And there are people who are on Twitter who are like live blogging it, um, you know, engaged. And then we created a permeable wall, right? Some people who are audience members like joined us and then went off again. Um, so for me, it's sort of broken down the relationship between audience and performance in an important way that again, and I'm talking too long here, but I do want to go back to the ancient context for a minute because we almost always forget that when tragedy was originally performed, everybody in the audience was potentially someone who could have been in the performance. They could have been trained as part of the chorus and almost all of them would have been trained in choruses in their lifetime, right? To be in a chorus for Hermes or a chorus for Dionysus somewhere else. So there's, a, there's an intimacy uh, of experience of performance in the ancient world um, that I can't say we're replicating, but that permeable boundary between the performance and the audience um, is something that I think we have sort of accidentally stumbled upon here. And there is something inarguably intimate, you know, I suppose there's something about being in a room with people that obviously feels intimate. You're, yeah. I mean, problematically at this point, breathing the right. same air. You know, that's part of what is so amazing about theatre. There is something incredibly intimate about the fact that you're filming in your own houses. You, you know that whoever's watching can see that whatever wall you've chosen to show them. And um, I think, yeah, that and the permeable wall, I think that's so beautifully put, Joel, that people would kind of join us and say, oh, I've actually watched this one, I watched this episode, and equally, and perhaps tragically, even on the weeks that I took off, sometimes I'd just watch because it was lovely. It was, you know, it, it really felt like a community. And there's a, there's a tail, a longer tail end to it, again, to go back to sort of the, the signals in space. Um, I've gotten responses this semester from, from students who are viewing it in their classes, right? Or people who are catching up or who are asking me about things I said um, in episodes I don't remember. Right? <laughs> so it's a different, it, it's this weird type of, um, uh, of almost prosthetic intimacy. I'm sure like television movie actors get this kind of thing all the time, right? People who love like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Battlestar Galactica and want to talk to the actors 20 years after a show has been filmed, right? And they don't remember it. Um, but for me, that that's a unique thing, right? So much of what I do, and I'm sure maybe it's similar to live theater, um, is, you know, you're one or 20 and done, right? And then you're on to the next thing. But the audience experienced it in a way you didn't, right? So there's an asynchronicity 
in the experience of the performance that I think can create some sort so, you know, powerful dynamics. And I know we're transgressing the rules of like, uh, of speaking clearly, right, um, to, to audience members to this. But I guess what I mean for that is like, we're, we're experiencing this at different times and different places. Um, and so it can keep coming back in a way that you can't anticipate. Again, that metaphor for me of like sound waves bouncing off of unanticipated angles and, and uh, surfaces. I think that point you made was so important, Joel, about what for me made this project really incredible. And we've already touched on it, mm -hmm. but the different experiences that people have hearing lines in different ways, mm -hmm. he, you know, seeing an episode or a play in a totally different way was so valued as part of intrinsically what was brilliant about this project, I think. Someone just saying, this line made me really angry. Or I, you know, as an actor, when I said this, I felt this was as valuable and made as interesting, I think in a really um, kind of humbling and, and beautiful way was made as important as people who'd studied it for 10 years. It was that value of individual experience and individual opinion, I think, which can be problematic. You know, it's not something we see enough of. I think we could probably agree on that. And I think that's really part of what made this project really special. Well, I think, you know, I know that this um, series is about sort of literature and approaches to it. And for whatever reason, I don't think Paul and I have ever talked about this directly, right, or explicitly. Um, what you're talking about, Evie, is sort of a non-fascistic approach to creativity. Right. The idea that individual experience is as valid uh, to the interpretive process um, as the authorial intent or di directorial vision. Right. And I think, it, again, this it's a part of our plan now, I think it became an ethic. But in the beginning, it was an offshoot of just trying to get by and make sense of things. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think a big part of it as well is probably to do with <clears throat> there wasn't time. I mean, actually, the fact that there was sort of the very early on, we sort of set ourselves the target of, oh, let's just keep doing this and, and do it weekly and have 40 episodes sort of consecutively um, meant that there was never the time to sort of, um, to, 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 in some ways, overthink it from a performance point of view, right? Actually, a lot of the time, it was just about getting fantastic people together and and basically giving them the freedom to go with their instincts with it and then and give it some shape and you know add some thoughts to it perhaps and you know add in a bit more zoom craft as we went on and found a little bit more time here and there but actually it was allowing people to just really interpret something and go with their instincts and explore it in that way and respond live to someone else who's doing exactly the same thing without the luxury of two weeks rehearsal or five weeks rehearsal or you know however long you, you'd normally be having. And I think in a way that that time restriction was actually quite useful for the creative process. I always I felt for a while that sort of the dangerous place would be where would be if you were just kind of doing sort of three or four rehearsals because by that point you'd then be sort of kind of in, in, a, in a way kind of going deeper but I think a lot of the time in the rehearsal process actually it's almost about trying to rediscover your first reactions to it mm. anyway. Um, but actually what we were presenting to people were pretty much the genuine first reactions because of um, those time restraints. Mm. How, was, how was that? I, I mean, Evie, you mentioned earlier, actually, the, um, 
the idea of sort of like missing audiences and the adrenaline and sort of the sort of that. Did like did did you did this kind of recreate that sort of adrenaline in any way for you? Sort of like was were there were there post show drinks? <laughs> I definitely, think. I'm, I'm I'm convinced that this is a really a, an addictive profession. I'm convinced of it. The the highs and lows of getting a job, hearing you've got an audition, the feeling of a first night and just physically experiencing what your body does to you. Certainly me, I mean, maybe there are people who are calmer, but what your body does when you're nervous, it's its amazing. It is really amazing. Um, and definitely, I mean, goodness, you know, I suppose something that I, I feel like I've done lots of shows now and I've worked in a lot of theatres that I have always wanted to work at, you know, and your first day at the National is utterly terrifying, but then you get used to it because of course that's what, you know, if we didn't get used to it, it would be a madness. I suppose throwing yourself into something that is reliant on not only your skill as an actor and what you know and what you've learnt, but is also <laughs> reliant on your internet bandwidth, <laughs> your neighbours, <laughs> your ability to remember the time differences <laughs> and not end up, as I did once, in a different county an hour before the start of the show. <laughs> I feel like you... Um, yeah, definitely. I definitely had the kind of heart beating it was glorious it it it's a it's something that made me feel like i was still an actor for and, and you know um i was rarely the one acting right um officially but i felt the same way like at the end of every episode i was wiped yeah right? and part of that is being on my edge listening to people fully mm. right and also having the constant concern that this is going to be the time I mess it all up and say something offensive or say something ridiculous or just <laughs> lose, like lose the tr lose track of everything. Um, and so for me, you know, uh, it's a slightly different skill set than I usually practice in the classroom. Um, but it's what it's carried over into other things. Like I'm really good at running zoom meetings now. Like <laughs> I orchestrated a, I think a 60 person um, uh, baby shower virtually. <laughs> and afterwards, my wife was like, how did you do that? I'm like, I just let everyone talk and we all took turns. It was easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think, but there, again, for us on this side, as we're recording it, I think it does come through. Um, there's an immediacy for us. And the energy is there. And there's this neat thing. I'm sure both of you have heard this before, but um, so there's about 20 years ago in literary theory, they're really interested in mirror neurons, which is a thing happening in your brain. Um, but basically shows that vicarious emotion does the same thing neurobiologically as so-called real emotion. So if you're reading a book and the main character dies and you cry, there's nothing different in your body from if you cry over someone you actually knew, right? Um, so there, there's a tremendous energy. And what uh, has recently been studied is that what happens though, when we're in the digital space and in two dimension, our brains can't actually compute the spatial relationships in the same way. So we're really working twice as hard through the same neurobiological experiences, which is why after a Zoom experience, 
we're completely knackered. Like we have nothing left because we're working so much harder than we were before. Um, so I didn't realize this until earlier. Like I kind of casually knew emotionally we're doing these things. Also, we're all traumatized by a pandemic and we're putting everything into these Wednesday nights. And so a last thing to add, this is rambling, I know, but the occasionality of it was transformative. It structured the week. And this is something we often lose when we think about performance in general, which is that in you know, pre-capitalist societies, right, performance of art is ritualized most of the time. Like it happens at a certain place in time and it's part of the community, a festival, is part of what happens in an annual calendar that shapes the way you live uh, your world, right? On a casual Friday night in New York or London, people go to the theater, right? But it's not ritual. Right? For us, we ritualized it accidentally in a time when we had nothing else to do. And my week, you know, my stress, right, my anxiety, but also my endorphins and adrenaline, you know, was up and down around these Wednesday meetings. Um, and that that was something pretty special. And sorry for that completely bizarre chain of associative comments. <laughs> Ooh, that's fascinating. And I feel like I was a real, I dipped in and out. I wasn't there for all of the episodes. I was there for a fair few, but I wasn't there for all of them. And I, did you, did, did you, did both of you do all of them? Yeah. And Paul did some extra too. Well, yeah, I mean, and, um, and, to be, and to be fair, every I think you're doing yourself a disservice to say you dipped in and out. <laughs> I think, um... Must have been in half of them. You were, I'd say you were submerged rather than dipping. And, uh, sure. and uh, I think you must have done well over half. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, the only one that I actually missed was when, very sadly, I couldn't be there because of um, my mother-in-law passed away and that very day. And, um, and the, apart from that, I was, yeah, we were there for, what was it? 40, well, we did 41 last year in, in 2020. And yeah, we've now done two so far this year. And um, and who knows, <laughs> who knows for how much longer as well. Um, Joel, like, do, do you think that this will, do you think this will change your teaching? Or, or do you think it will um, not, but sort of when you're, when you're teaching tragedy now, sort of, is what are you going to take from this experience into the class? I'm never going to teach tragedy the same way again. I know that seems like an easy thing to say, but you know, I mean, it's not, it, it's as ridiculous as taking a bunch of pop songs, getting rid of the music, just reading the lyrics and sitting around just looking at it. And I, but it's even worse than that um, because you're missing out all the other things. You're missing out occasion. You're missing out community interpreting together. Um, and you're missing out um, on, I don't know what the third thing was going to be, right? But we can keep that in there. Right? Uh, so I, I think in- History. Yeah, no, no. So the experience of, um, of, of creating too, right? Um, so, you know, I think that part of the question is what's the goal of teaching tragedy today? Right. And there are many different ones. Like, do I really care about historicizing and getting people to understand ancient Athens? Um, after last year, not so much. Right. I mean, I'm not saying it's not important, but I want to go back to, you know, Evie's uh, sorry, Evie's early comment about uh, learning about being human. Right. Um, I think that's more important. Also, learning about what we lose and have lost in our lifetimes. Right. Um, the, just the, the aspect of getting together 
creating, enjoying art or entertainment, debriefing and talking about it. It's not something we do anymore, right? It's very limited. Um, and this year has been an extreme version of that by separating people in their different bubbles. We were already going there, right? And that's part of the thing that's hard to really, to really think about. So uh, for me, part of teaching tragedy has to in the future be, a, be re recuperative. Right? thinking about helping students think about the difference between the lives they lead and those that were there before and why people need art and what they do with it. Like these are far more important questions than focusing on the vicissitudes of a little city in Greece. And not to, right? not to uh, you know, diminish Athens, it's very important and we need to learn the history to understand the plays. Um, but also, I mean, from this experience, I've learned how much I needed that connection and how much more vibrant and meaningful tragedy is to me with that um, in mind. Um, so I, I think that I will have students performing the plays more. I'll have them be watching performances. And I'll also, I mean, I was already always the kind of instructor who tried to downplay my own authority in the classroom, um, but I want to decenter it even more um, because I think too often the way we set up the classrooms um, we disincentivize students from bringing their own experience and voices and learning how to interpret tragedy on their own, right? And for me, um, part of the value of learning how to interpret any story is learning how to understand the world around you and other people. And if we're just like sages on the stage giving people the answer, telling them how to do it, at the end of the day, they know some facts. Well, what do they know about being human? Sorry, I didn't want to go from there. Like, like, and, and so, I, and I was, and maybe you sort of answered it. I don't know, I'm, I would be fascinated to know, perhaps not specifically what your favourite episode is, unless that's kind of clear and obvious to you, but what it was about some of them that really made them stand out. Was there something that united the ones that were really special for you? Other than obviously my acting, I don't... <laughs> I mean, look, first of all, I mean, what I love about everyone is I, I think that the performances were generally transcendent, right? And, it, you know, I, people don't need me to say that you were good, Abby, because they can go to watch the videos and see and hear me say it every time, which is probably embarrassing. If someone did like a super cut of my praise, they'd be like, he's kind of creepy. It's a good thing they're on different sides of the ocean, right? Um, but I think for me, the ones I remember with the most intensity, sort of like flashbulb power memories, um, are those where we really just let ourselves feel the tension between our lives and the action of the place. Um, so the one, you know, soon after Memorial Day, where um, we were discussing um, memorializing the dead. And one of our guests talked about um, South Carolina and practices of honoring um, uh, black soldiers and former enslaved people who had died there um, in the context of everything that was going on. It was just, I mean, it was harrowing. And then when we had conversations about immigration and we talked about, you know, children in cages at the border in the U.S. or the, or the migrant crises in Europe, um, it just, it mattered in such a way, right? And then, you know, the... The day before or the day of the election uh, of Trump versus uh, Biden. I mean, that was just like, I, whatever. Play, did we do the humanities that day? We did. <laughs> I mean, it was the day after when the vote, when the count. Oh, was, yeah, the day oh, after. The count was still going on. And we, we actually sort of news was breaking sort of constantly at that time.
and I mean, it's not often I feel like I'm going to puke constantly. Right. Um, but that is just what it drove home for me. One was that um, the moment, the momentousness of the plays relied in part on the audience's shared experiences of the world and of the way the play, the performance was reinterpreting the world for them. Um, and I guess I knew that casually, maybe before, um, but when I, when I was experiencing it myself, like it, it created a closeness, um, it created a sense of, of loss, but also a sense of belonging. Um, and it, 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 it took the edge off the pain. Right. I mean, that day, I mean, again, to go back to the moment we were doing that play, um, I think most of us thought that Trump was probably going to win again, right? Or suspected it. And at that moment, like, I wasn't resigned, but I felt like, all right, here, here are people I can ride this out with. Right? Here are ways to understand it. Um, and so, the, I mean, those are three moments. Um, Evie, as an actress, I mean, what ones jump out at you? Well, that's a good question. I, um, I mean, there, there were plays, I suppose, you know, c coming to this as someone who I loved reading Greek myths when I was a child. I just found them amazing. I just found them the most amazing stories. Um, I love, you know, I mean, performing Greek texts is just amazing. It's, a, it's such a gift as an actor. They're such fun to do. So I suppose there were a few that I just didn't know. I'd never read. I'd, I'd maybe read you know, kind of connected myths and stories, but I'd never read or heard of even those particular plays. Um, Hecuba was just fabulous, just incredible. And Eunice, I mean, it just every time she was on the cast list, it was just, ah, I mean, she's amazing. It's like, I, it almost makes you stop acting because she's so brilliant. You want yeah. to just watch. Um, yeah, but also I feel like reading... Um, I read Io and we had a conversation about her being turned into a cow and the gadfly. And I think in reading it, you know, alongside the conversations that were happening in the world at the time, you know, and within, you know, a lot of my kind of friendship groups and circles, that that idea of maybe inside that myth, her transformation into a cow being this post sexual abuse not recognizing your own body or the need to transform or, or or being in this alien state that doesn't feel like it's yours anymore and I and I feel like the combination of the academic discussion and reading it in this way that was live felt live you, you feel this adrenaline you which I I guess you know I'm not a scientist, but I feel like you experience words differently. You listen in, in a different way when you are, when you're really, it feels electric. You feel really alive and you, and you really experience, um, I think, what you receive from the other actors differently. And that felt very profound. That felt like a real understanding of something, perhaps. Um, yeah. But I agree with you, Joel. I mean, having that connection, we'd read the news and be like, oh, thank God we've got a Greek tragedy this week. Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, because I need to be in a community of people who are going to read something. Hopefully I get to do some whaling. That would be really cathartic. <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> because it feels like we need to, I don't know, kind of, yeah, whale uh, and and kind of understand also in a in a way that I've never understood 
what it is to live through something extreme, incredibly extreme in a way that you, unites everyone that you're in touch with. Um, not only the kind of misery of that and the grief of that, but also the boredom and the exhaustion and the, the kind of strange hilarity and, and giddiness that comes out of it. I feel like all of that, um, yeah, there's a new understanding of all of that, I think. Right, and, and that's, I mean, I, I love that you, you bring that up, Evie, because the, you know, when we look back to the past, you know, when the, I'm sure in the UK, when you're talking about the Blitz, Right, all those years of uh, of being bombed. You're thinking of the of the bombs, right? You're not so much thinking of the long days of people doing all the mundane things you have to live, right? I mean, you know, we'll remember 20, 30 years doing these plays. We'll remember the news, the terrible news conferences. But I spent a good portion of my year doing dishes, right, and doing laundry, and just sort of pacing around a house I couldn't leave, and that that, that boredom. <laughs> Right. The madness of it all, just watching, watching catastrophe slowly unfold and being incapable of doing anything about it. Right. I think when I, when I look back at the performances, I don't think we did anything to change the world. Right. But we gave ourselves space to to be changed and to find a way to work through it. Um, so that that's something that I that I never would have thought about before. I think that's um, <clears throat> that's a really nice sort of point to kind of start to move towards the end of this discussion. Um, one thing that I do want to ask um, both of you, and um, I'll put it out there and then see who goes first with this, um, is just to, it's just to ask. Um, uh, it's something that um, pops up in uh, in all the a bit lit videos. Is um, is what what literature <clears throat> what literature means to you? What is literature to you? Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw that out there and see who bites first. My immediate response, I think, is just escapism and stories. I feel like I'm an actor. Obviously, that's part of my, you know, that's my career now. But definitely as a child, it honestly feels like you're just submerging yourself in somewhere else and something else and someone else's head. And I just think it's magical. I think as well the 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 fact that it's your own creation as well that it's not just the author it's not just the person who's conceived and written it down you are absolutely intrinsic in also creating these worlds and that feels really distinct to a lot of other mediums and incredibly special I, I'm yeah escapism oh and joy joy <laughs> so um I'm not gonna say anything at all to, to change that, right? But I wanna build on it. Um, so one of the weird things about my career is that I'm supposed to be able to answer this question, right? It's part of like my job. Um, and literature is always one of these things that's wrapped up with ideas of canon and elitism and who gets to create something that's authorized. And so for me, the answer is something like this, which is that um, what makes something literature for me, and I'll, I'll expand this, what makes something art is that it's entertainment and distraction and escapism that transforms you when you emerge in it, right? And you allow yourself to. Um, and I always I make that because I, I think that there are plenty of stories that are that are lovely, right? There are plenty of television shows that are a distraction, 
But I think when something stays with you and changes the way you see the world and act in it, um, then that takes it to, to a different level. And so for me, the, the literary is sort of the apex of that, right? That that we mark off, like this is literature, that is literature. But there's all this space about what is the art or what is the work that transforms you? How does it transport you and what? how does it transform? So for me, it's that. It's, you know, it's entertainment, right? Distraction um, that makes you into something else in its wake. Well, um, I just want to say a big thanks to both of you. Um, uh, I mean, not only for this, actually, but for the last year as well. Because, <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, everything that you've been talking about in terms of community, it's just resonates so strongly and I think um, it's it's been such an extraordinary time that and that we all have this sort of point of reference that we share um, and to have been able to then come together and create and discuss and comfort with um, with a group that it's you know started off with just a few of us and we've ended up with sort of you know 80 odd actors involved along the way and Probably, I guess about 40 academics have joined us at different points as well. Um, to have that community created online has been incredibly special. Um, I should probably <laughs> add in some details that you can watch any of these episodes. Well, probably worth saying that. But um, all of the Reading Blue Tragedy Online episodes are up on the Centre for Hellenic Studies YouTube. I'm sure some links can appear somewhere near this video when it goes up. Um, and it's also on the Out of Chaos website. And Out of Chaos is a theatre company that I run. Um, and we partnered with the Centre for Hellenic Studies and the Cosmos Society as well in um, putting this all together. We should do a very big shout out as well to, um, to, I mean, there are numerous people who have been involved, sort of, in truth, too numerous to mention. Um, but one person who, who should never go unmentioned is Lana, um, who's just been such an amazing part of this um, uh, whole experience. And that's Lana Coley, who, who works at, um, uh, at the Centre for Hellenic Studies and has been the, the producer for um, everything that we've been doing and has just been incredible um, every single step of the way. Um, I think we should probably sign off. Um, and uh, I'll say to, to both of you, both Evie and to Joel, thank you, uh, thank you again. And uh, it's been great to talk. Um, we should do this again sometime. Oh, so nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, do check out um, the videos and um, I hope anyone who's watching this um, keeps well. And thanks again.